This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Ryan Kennedy, joined by Ken Campbell. Matt Larkin is off this week, so we're going to have some fun without him. Ken, we are in the thick of the playoffs, and one team is already through to the semifinal. That would be the Montreal Canadiens. They just swept the Winnipeg Jets. So let's start off with the winners, the Habs. Is Montreal actually good? Well, I think they're I think they are good. They're better than they were during the regular season. And they look a lot more like the team that that opened the gate uh, that, that went, came out of the gate and looked like one of the best teams in the league. Um, I, I think, too, part of it is, you know, I mean, they've changed the way they're playing. Um, you know, they're, they're they're getting a lot more sort of um, I, I think their offensive thrust is a lot more um, prominent now. Like they, they seem to be you know, making a lot more happen in the offensive zone. They keep, they seem to be getting a lot more opportunities in the slot. They, you know, I, I think Cole Caulfield is a huge part of that. And, and I, I look at Cole Caulfield and I, I see almost a, uh, like a Phil Kessel type of player, um, except not as lazy. Um, but, you know, I'm, but I, I see a guy who, who's known for his shot and, you know, has sort of, you know, made his name on his shot. But as a guy who can, who is, a, who is like a super underrated passer and can really dish as well, and I, I just see that with Kessel all the time. Like everybody talks about his shot, but nobody talks about how what a great passer he is. And, and I, I see a lot of that in Cole Caulfield. And and you know, I mean, they're they're playing a lot better on both sides of the puck. They're playing offensively better. You know, they've 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 basically gone down to four defensemen and they're, you know, they've really tightened up defensively. Carey Price, of course, is, is playing much better than he did during the regular season. You know, so there's all of that into it, but I also think part of it is for a lot of this year, we talked about how not great the North division was. Uh, And I think that's part of it too. I think, you know, they're, they're benefiting from playing in a division that isn't that great um against teams that are good but not great and uh i think you know i i think you know i mean we thought they were, everybody thought they were going to lose in four or in five to to toronto uh but i think reality is really going to slap them in the next round um that being said you know with Kerry price um you know he gives them a chance in every to win every game he gives them a chance they have it they have a chance to win with that kind of goaltending, um, you know, will they win? Will he be able to carry it across the finish line? I- I'm not so sure, but I think they, you know, nothing should surprise us with the way he's playing. Fair enough. Yeah. And to me, it's amazing that, you know, there was a time just a couple of weeks ago when Habs fans were basically hoping the team would lose so that Mark Bergevin and Dom Ducharme would get fired. We were basically one errant Alex Galchenia pass away from a completely different reality. Right. right. But you look at the, the work that Ducharme has done with the roster that Bergevin provided, and it's, it's hard to argue with the results. I know people were horrified that Caulfield didn't play the first couple of games of the Toronto series, but allowing him to see what was you know, what playoff hockey was and then getting, you know, sort of folding him into the lineup seems to pay dividends. Obviously the chemistry with Nick Suzuki has been fantastic. And as you mentioned, that pass to Tyler Toffoli for the winner 
in game four was just incredible. You know, Alexander Romanov finally gets into the lineup last night, did some positive things and, and gave them a little bit of depth there. You know, uh, I totally hear what you're saying about the divisions and it's, it's so hard because nobody played each other this year. But I also wonder if, you know, you look at how Ducharme has handled this group and how well they've done defensively in, in giving Price the opportunity to be that, you know, elite netminder that we all know he has been throughout his career. It just seems like this is a team that, you know, they're really dialed in. They've, they've bought into the system. And, and this is not a style that they could play over 82 games but they could certainly do it for 20 games with proper rest in between. And now as they wait for the winner of Colorado and Vegas to be determined, which will be their next opponent, they can all of a sudden, you know, Shea Weber can just sit in an ice bath for like three days and recover. And, you know, hopefully Jeff Petrie, you know, I don't know what the latest diagnosis is on his fingers. You know, hopefully they can get him back at some point because, you know, he, he eats so many minutes and has done so many good things with him in the past but on the flip side of things the Winnipeg Jets unceremoniously swept out of the playoffs uh Pierre-Luc Dubois banished to the wing where he looked even worse than he was at center um let's do a little autopsy here for Paul Maurice's unit what, what do you think about this Jets team moving forward what's the future here well, looking back at this series, I mean, they they were the second best team in every game. Um, you know, I, I thought game four, they were outplayed, you know, by a significant, significant margin. And we're lucky to get it to overtime. Um, you know, I mean, you know, obviously you have to look at the at the at the the suspension to Mark Scheifele as a huge factor here. Um, you know, I mean, he is their best forward the you know, maybe their best player. Um, you know, obviously Kyle Connor and, and, and Blake Wheeler, you know, although Connor, I thought played really, really well, um, you know, and didn't get rewarded for it. You know, you know, obviously that whole dynamic just kind of shifted. Paul Stastny wasn't that healthy. I'm not convinced Pierre-Luc Dubois was healthy. And if he was, then, oh my God, uh, you know, how could he be that bad? I, I got to think he was, he was injured. Um, you know, but they went out and got him, you know, to, to step in in roles like this. Um, and, and they were supposed to have the best depth in the league at forward. So it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been as big a factor as it was, you know, the Dylan DeMello injury should not have been as big a factor as it was. Um, you know, so I look forward to, I look to next year. I think Paul, I, I'm, I'm going on the assumption that Paul Maurice will be back. Um, you know, the players like playing for him. Um, although I'm not sure that's always the greatest thing, um, but I think they, they like playing for him. They respond to him. He hasn't lost the room, um, but I, I would suspect there's going to be a fairly short leash there. I mean, this team has to do something. They have to get better defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not a good defensive team. You know, you would think that, you know, I, I, and, and I'm not saying that Seth Jones would be a guy um, because number one, I'm not sure he'd go there. And number two, uh, he's been in decline himself the last couple of years, I think. Um, you know, I mean, is it realistic to expect them to take a run at Dougie Hamilton and get him? You know, I, I mean, UFAs traditionally do not choose a market like Winnipeg for long term, uh, you know, employment and that kind of thing. So but they've got to get better defensively. I look at, 
you know, I mean, maybe it's a tweak, like maybe you replace Charlie Huddy as the defensive guy. Um, you know, he's been there the whole time they've been there. They haven't been that good defensively. You know, maybe, you, maybe you do that and you buy Paul Maurice a bit of time. And if things go well next year, you, you keep them. And if they, if they come out of the, the shoot, especially, you know, they're going back in the central division next year, which is no walk in the park by any stretch of the imagination. So I think you probably bring them back. And then if you, you give them a short leash and if they don't show in, in the, in, you know, the 2021, 22 season, that they're, you know, that they're, they're serious about, you know, defending their own end, then maybe, maybe you make a change. Yeah, that's fair. I think with, with Dubois, for me, he has to be a center. That's his natural, it, well, it's, it, you know, it's, I shouldn't say it's his natural position because he did play a lot of wing early on in major junior, and then he was converted to a center in his draft year and, uh, and played very well for Cape Breton, in, you know, in that, and that led to obviously Columbus taking him as early as they did in the draft. Um, but I will say, so, you know, I, I, I want to see him at center and obviously with Shifley back in the lineup, Dubois is your number two and, you know, you have him in more of a, a two-way role. I, I think, I think that's what he is. You know, I, I think we, you know, we saw how good he could be in Columbus and there was some sort of heady visions of Dubois as this like, you know, Patrice Bergeron kind of number one center. But I think, I think it's, more realistic at this point to say he's a number two, which is fine on Winnipeg because they have a number one in Shifley who can do that. You know, he can take that load and, and do all the scoring and whatnot. Um, on the defensive side, I, I totally agree with you. I wonder if, you know, because of the factors you mentioned with, with free agency and, and no trade clauses, if the Jets have to hope that they've done their best in developing young talent because yeah. we saw Logan Stanley step up in a big way in game four with two goals. And he is a very unique player because of his size and reach where, you know, you, <laughs> you, you can't teach size as they say. And, you know, he is in that sort of six foot six, six foot seven range. Uh, and obviously he can give you a bit of offense as well as defend. Um, you know, you got Dylan Sandberg still coming up the pipeline. Uh, you know, you, you do have Sammy Niku, who, you know, maybe he's a depth guy at this point, but that's okay because you need depth guys. You know, I, I thought this was a very good playoff run for Josh Morrissey, uh, just for him sort of taking that, um, that responsibility and taking that mantle as the sort of de facto number one guy. Uh, because, you know, we know Winnipeg has been depleted on the back end. For the past couple of years, they never really rebounded from Dustin Bufflin and uh, and his early retirement, you know, due to injury. So I, I think that's probably their their best case scenario. And you know, I've, I've kind of said for a couple of years now, I'm not sure if Paul Maurice is the guy that can get the Jets over the top. But as you mentioned, players love him. The media loves him too uh, because he's a great talker and you know he's a, a very charismatic guy. So. You don't see a lot of bad things written about Paul Maurice, and I think, you know, that might be the, the detriment of, of Winnipeg Jets' ownership and, and GM Kevin Cheveldale because there's not a lot of pressure to get rid of Paul Maurice. I mean, the Jets have been good to very good during his tenure. Um, moving on to one series that is still going on now, the Vegas Golden Knights. They have squared their series with the Colorado Avalanche after the Avs kind of stomped them in the first two games. So Vegas, always an interesting team because of the, the depth they have and how they spread it out. So I'm going to ask, who's the Golden Knights 
playoff MVP for you so far, Kim? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's the guy in the Nets, Marc-Andre Fleury, who, you know, it's the same guy who was their MVP during the regular season. Um, you know, this guy is having a spectacular playoff, um, you know, save percentage 924. Um, you know, he, he plays he plays in the first series, plays really, really well. And you just know that Pete DeBoer is just trying to find a way to, to, to get Robin Lehner in the net. So he puts him in in game one. What happens? They get absolutely demolished um and then and then flower comes back in and and you know cleans up the mess um so to me it's it's definitely um it's definitely mark andre Fleury. you know they're getting you know they're getting some good situational offense um but they're not getting a ton like nobody's really scoring a ton on this team um so i think they really have to rely on some really really um you know top goaltending and i think they're doing that and i think mark andre Fleury is providing it yeah, I agree. I, I think Mark Andre Fleury is definitely the guy. I, you know, I'll give a bit of a shout out to, you know, Mark Stone and some of the forwards, just in the way they've been able to contain uh, Nathan McKinnon's line mm-hmm. in sort of the the middle section. Of, well, in these two uh, wins that that Vegas has um, in a row, because it's it's not an easy task. We've talked about it on the podcast before, where you have so much speed, size, and skill in that McKinnon, Ranson, and Landeskog line. So to be able to contain them, I, I think is is quite the uh, the work of heroism. And I, I just I don't know if Mark Stone is the most like memeable, gift friendly <laughs> player in the NHL right now. But like, how can you not go to war when you're on the same team as Mark Stone? I mean, that guy is so exuberant. He's he's, he's emotional in a good way, uh, where. It, you know, it, it always seems to be in the right situations. Uh, even when he's angry, it's it's not in a way that costs his team. Uh, so for me, I mean, Fleury's the guy, but I'll, I'll give a, a shout out to Mark Stone for just being that emotional leader that can also, you know, get you what you need in that elite two-way player. Uh, speaking of elite players, now the Boston Bruins are on the ropes right now against the New York Islanders. But I wanted to talk about David Pasternak because – He's leading the Bruins in scoring. Uh, he's their best puck p- possession player right now. Is it time to call the Bruins David Pasternak's team, or, or are we a little early on this? I think we're a little early. I mean, you know, I mean, Patrice Bergeron is still playing at an incredibly high level. Um, you know, he's been the captain. He was, he's gotten them through two rounds in his first goal round as captain. I, I don't know that it's his team. I don't know that it's anybody's team. This is one of those teams that, you know, I'm not sure you can say it's Brad Marchand's team because some nights it is Brad Marchand's team. Some nights it's some nights it's Charlie McAvoy's team. Some nights it's Tuka Rask's team. Some nights it's David Pasternak's team. Some nights it's Patrice Bergeron's team. You know, some nights it's Craig Smith's team. Like it's like you know. So yeah. so I, I think there's there's such a diversity of you know talent and veteran talent there that it's probably a little too early to pass the mantle to him. But um, you know, I mean. This is something we've been seeing for a long time. I mean, this guy is a an elite player, an elite offensive producer, and you know, a, a, a just a, just a top shelf player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you uh, you nailed it there. What I will say is that I feel like Pasternak has gotten to the point where he can be one of those guys that the NHL markets on a mass level. You know, yeah. we talk about the yeah. new TV deals. 
coming in, ESPN and TNT. You know, these are these are networks that are used to having personalities in sports. You know, you, you look particularly TNT and how good they've been with basketball. And then obviously ESPN has a, a number of major sports that they cover on television. Pasternak seems to be that guy that can sort of break the hockey mold where he has a lot of fun with how he dresses, you know, he, yeah. he gives, he gives good interviews. Um, you know, he, he seems to have fun out there while also playing at an elite level and, and being that top two way guy that they have on that perfection line. So I, I, I think in, in one way, you know, it, it may not, the Bruins might not be David Pasternak's team, but I could certainly see, you know, the next time there's an outdoor game or an all-star game or whatever it happens to be on a major American network, Pashnak is a guy that, you know, I could see mm-hmm. them doing their first intermission magazine story, uh, you know, yeah. on TNT or SBN or whatever on Pashnak because uh, he, he does sort of uh, have that exuberance to go along with the requisite skill. And I, I think, you know, in hockey, that makes him a little unique right now. Yeah. Um, Going over to the, the the only other series we haven't talked about so far, uh, Carolina on the ropes against Tampa Bay. Dougie Hamilton, we, we mentioned it a bit earlier, uh, he is a pending, unrestricted free agent. If the Canes lose this series, and, and they're not in a good spot right now, but if they do lose, do they take a step back next year? Uh, and and is, is Dougie still part of the team? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're assuming there's a lot of assumptions that he's he's not going to resign with Carolina. Um, I don't know that there's ever been anything one way or the other that has said, you know, that he's going to leave or that he's going to resign. It's it's not a good sign that he hasn't resigned yet. So you've got to think he's he's thinking of at least, you know, becoming, you know, going the distance here now. Like, why? Why would you not? Right. And and mm-hmm. test the free agent waters on June 20. What is it? Eighth or something like that whenever free agents like is that. 23rd or whatever it is. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Why, why would you not at this point? Um, but no, I th- I think this is a very, very solid, good team. I mean, uh, you know, their defense is still very, you know, it's, it's very formidable, even without Dougie Hamilton in the lineup, you know, up front, they've got, you know, they've got some good parts. Um, they've got it. I think this is a team that's got to figure out their goaltending situation. Is Alex Nedeljkovic the guy, you know, is he, is, is, does he become the number one guy next year? He's a restricted free agent. They should be able to bring him back quite easily. Um, you know, and then what do they do with, uh, you know, the, what do they do with, you know, Peter Morazic and James Reimer, um, you know, did they let them go? I likely think they probably do. Um, and maybe they go out and look for, you know, that they, they look out they look for a veteran goaltender to spell off Nedeljkovic. But I still think this is a very good team that's on the rise that has a lot of, you know, a lot of really positive things going for it. And, you know, yeah, they might take a step back a little bit, you know, obviously, because they're not, they would not be as good a team without Dougie Hamilton as they would be with him. Um, but I still think it's a, I still think they're a very, very solid team and a contending team for sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. And then, you know, going back to realignment next year, you look at that uh, Metropolitan Division and it's not really that intimidating. You know, right. obviously the Islanders are going to be solid. Washington, I, I think we have to wait and see, you know, what happens with Kuznetsov, you know, and, and just how some of the older players get through the summer and, and what they're like next year. Pittsburgh, you know, they're they're still going to go for it. 
you know, they're going to keep Malkin, Crosby, Latang. Uh, is that the right course of action? Hard to say. The Rangers, I think, are going to be a lot of fun, and they're going to be better. How much better will be very interesting to see. But then you still have some rebuilding teams there, and I think that Carolina will – they're obviously, you know, still poised to be a playoff team. And, you know, you're right. I mean, there, there's a very good chance Dougie Hamilton could resign in Carolina. He's in a great situation there where, you know, he's supported. He's part of a blue line core where he has a very vital role, but it's not all on him. You know, they obviously have Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci, uh, who are also, you know, top end defenders. They have a whole core that they can really sort of spread the love. And I, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, goaltending. Uh, that's what I would focus on as well. And I, I think you kind of, you kind of nailed it there, Ken, where if they brought in like a Yaroslav Halak, for example, uh, or an Auntie Ranta that could work with Nadelkovich. Sorry, I went on Porky Pig there for a second. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably, you know, the, the best case scenario for them. And, you know, honestly, it gives them a little cap flexibility, too, because as you mentioned, Nadelkovich is an RFA. And if you're bringing in a, a veteran, a, you know, somebody who's that age, they're, they're not going to command a pretty penny. So. I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is a team that almost won the president's trophy this year. I don't think they're necessarily going to be that good, but are they a playoff team? For sure. Could they make a run if they get goaltending? For sure. So um, one more topic before we get to the mail mailbag here. Uh, Taya Curry, the first girl drafted into the OHL. So let's talk about the state of women's hockey right now. And my sort of setup here, Ken, is, you know, it's interesting because Curry was drafted by the Sarnia Sting, but her best path is obviously the NCAA, where all elite young women uh, play their hockey before going on to the pro ranks. And, she, you know, Curry can't play, or, you know, she can't play for the Sarnia Sting and then go to the NCAA unless there was some sort of exemption granted. Um, and it got me thinking just, you know, what, what should be next for women's hockey? I mean, there is the provincial women's hockey league in, uh, Ontario for, you know, teenage girls. Um, but it's not necessarily the equivalent of the OHL in terms of stature. Are we, are we at the point where we need to start thinking about a place for, um, you know, Canadian girls to play their developmental hockey at a, at a higher level? Um, or are we, are we simply at a, a point where it's kind of good that the best athletes are going to the NCAA because, you know, they get scholarships, they can get an, an education before moving on to the pro ranks, and they're obviously prepared when they do that, and then they go on to the Olympics and the Worlds. Um, just sort of what do you think about the state of, of women's hockey right well, as far as the development is concerned, I don't think there's really anything, you know, I mean, Canada and the U.S. are developing a lot of great players. And and I think if, if they they enhance that, it would it would it would widen the gap between them and everybody else even more. I mean, Canada, you know, that's not Canada's problem, although I do think that there is a responsibility for Canada and the U.S. to help grow the game in the women's, the women's game in other places so that it does get strengthened and it does, you know, there is competition. And I've always said this, I always thought that, you know, Canada and the U S have to start, you know, grooming the teams that may one day beat them, 
you know, in a gold medal game, but that's, what's good for women's hockey. Um, you know, as far as development is concerned, I guess, I guess what you're, maybe what you're getting at is like an, an, at the equivalent of the OHL for, or major junior hockey for, for women. Um, I'm not sure that the player pool is big enough. I'm not, I, I don't know that for a fact. I, I don't, I don't know if there would be enough, uh, you know, enough talent to stock, you know, even, you know, even 10 teams, let alone, you know, 20 or 30, um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I think what, what we're looking at is, you know, I mean, I, I think what, too, what we have to remember is, is that, you know, she may never end up playing a game for the Sarnia Sting. Her, her draft rights have been assigned to the Sarnia Sting, her, her, or her playing rights have been assigned to the Sarnia Sting. You know, she was drafted 200 and something overall in the 15th round. I mean, there are players, you know, and, and, and there are lots of players, like, you know, lots of players in the NHL that never even got drafted in major junior hockey who end up you know, being stars in the NHL, um, you know, and guys who end up getting drafted really, really late, who end up, you know, being very good players in major junior hockey and going on to the NHL. Um, I'm not sure that she, she is or is not, but, you know, I mean, history would suggest and where she's drafted would suggest that the odds of her playing actually becoming a regular player for the Sarnia Sting are, are pretty low. Um, so, I, I, you know, to me, I still think it's the NCAA route. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, the hockey's tremendous. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of great Canadians come out of the NCAA. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I'm not sure that the player pool would be big enough to, you know, to have that kind of large scale, you know, elite junior hockey experience. So, you know, I mean, she's doing it with the boys. She's done it with the boys to this point. And most, most, uh, most women hockey players transition over to the women's game and, you know, good for her for hanging in there. Yeah, for sure. I, you certainly make a good point about the player pool. You know, in my mind, I, I say, you know, I'm thinking more and more young girls are playing the sport and, you know, that's going to eventually filter up and, and perhaps we're not ready yet for, you know, like a major junior uh, for, for teen girls right now. But I mean, the other thing I was thinking of is, you know, you look at the national team development program in the U.S. and they, they don't have, you know, they have two teams for the boys, but none for the girls. And again, right. it, I'm sure it's a matter of the, the player pool and the fact that the Americans don't really need it because, you know, they win sort of 50% of the gold medals, if not more at oh, all yeah, women's yeah. events uh, anyways. But I, you know, I mean, maybe you, you make a good point about other countries outside of North America I mean, maybe those are the the countries, the Sweden's, Finland's, Russia's, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, things are going great in Germany on the men's side right now. I, I wonder if sort of NTDP style programs for uh, teenage girls in those countries where they play each other, maybe they play, uh, you know, some NCAA teams uh, in the States uh, or even U sports teams in Canada. I wonder if that's the sort of thing where, you don't need the biggest pool in the world. You're essentially looking for sort of 22, 23 top end, you know, uh, 16 and 17 year olds uh, to put together. Maybe that's something that helps development where you do get more competition from those countries. So when you get to the women's level uh, at the world, at the Olympics, then as you mentioned, you know, Canada and USA, aren't always just the two teams that are, that are really vying for gold. You know, we've seen some exceptions, but uh, for the most part, it's, it, they tend to be all North American finals. But, um, you know, as producer Stephen pointed out, 267 uh, in the fourth round for Curry. 
Um, and you make a good point. A lot of NHLers didn't even get drafted in the OHL. My favorite, of course, Anthony Sorelli. Uh, yeah. He's doing all right with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but uh, a very fun weekend for the OHL draft and, and really cool news uh, for Curry and for Sarnia. Uh, let's move on to the mailbag now. And we will start off with a question from Ranton and Raven, uh, <laughs> who asked, of the following players, you got Philip Grubauer, Brady Kachuk, Elias Pettersson, Kirill Kaprizov, Quinn Hughes, and Kale McCarr. Who makes the most money next year? And do you think any of them signed for the max term? What do you think, Ken? Well, I think I think for both of the, the guys that I'm going to talk about, I think both of those things are, are possible. Kale McCarr, who may win the Norris Trophy this year, and Brady Kachuk. Um, you know, I think, I think both of them will be very, very rich men next year. I think McCarr will should deserves to be making the most money out of all those players, in my opinion. Um, and I, I could just see Kel McCarr being the kind of guy that would sign for max term. You know, he's, he's a, he's a real sort of quiet, low maintenance guy who I don't think would grind you down in negotiations or anything like that. Um, so I could see him signing, you know, for max term for big money. Um, and I think the guy, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's incumbent that Ottawa, you know, get this, get Kachuk nailed down on an eight year deal, you know, eight times eight easy. Like, like we all know the numbers out there. We, we know what he, what he's worth. We know what he can get. We know what a good contract would be for both sides. Just do the 8.8 times eight, um, you know, make him your captain, you know, develop him along. He's going to be the face of the franchise. So I would say those two guys would be the guys that would be most likely to sign long-term um, out of, you know, but I mean, Quinn Hughes is going to get big money, obviously. Kirill Kaprizov, I mean, you know, there's a guy that's, that's, you know, obviously established himself as not the best, not only the best rookie, but one of the most dynamic, you know, players in the league. So he's going to get paid too. Yeah. I hate to be boring, but I, I completely agree with you. Um when it comes to Kachuk and Makar, the, the only tweak I would say is I think that Kachuk will make more only because Colorado has less cap space right. than Ottawa. And also Colorado has more stuff to do. So obviously you got locked down Makar and eight years is the way to go. You already know, you know what he's capable of and it is. Uh, better than most defensemen in the league. So yes, you want him. As and let, and as let's as forget as about as offer as sheets. As let's forget about them. Every yes. year, every year, oh, there's going to be an offer sheet. There's going to be an offer <laughs> sheet. There never <laughs> is. It's a and now it's a flat cap, so there's even less of a chance that there's going to be one. You know, so like, you know, forget yeah, about cool. offer sheets. Like, let's not let's even do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but having said that, you know, uh, Gabriel Landeskog needs a new contract. Uh, Philip Grubauer needs a new contract. And if you do not re-sign him, because he is a UFA, so if Colorado does not re-sign him, then you need a new number one goaltender. And those guys don't come cheap on the open market either. So I think that because of that, I would say Kachuk might make a little more money, but term would be the same. And then, of course, you look at Vancouver, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson need new contracts. Vancouver already... Um, you know, I, I think I said this on a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's only like three other NHL teams that spent more on salary this year than the Vancouver Canucks, and they were also one of the worst teams in the league. Part of that was because Pedersen was hurt. 
but you know this is a team with a lot of contracts already so i i would just worry about the flexibility that vancouver has right now and that's why you might see you know a bridge deal for quinn hughes where they say look let us get some of these deals off the you know the books yeah and then the next contract you're gonna get paid um so yeah a lot of a lot of interesting ins and outs there good question um next one from cheating heel um wonder if they're a wrestling fan asked with thomas tatar and jonathan Druan most likely gone this summer debatable uh who do you see coming in to patch the left side in montreal if he doesn't re-sign in colorado i'd see a guy like brandon sod uh being a good fit because mark Bergevin loves his ex-hawks do you see anyone else fitting the profile uh, Ken, what do you think about Montreal's left flank right now? Well, Taylor Hall was out there and there was always talk that Montreal was going to make a play for him. So if they really want to make a big splash, I suppose he would be out there. I'm not sure that both Tatar and Duran will be gone next year. I'm, I, I think that's, that's a bit presumptuous. Um, so yeah, but, but I mean, Taylor Hall's a guy that's out there obviously. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think you close the door on, Tatar and Druan just yet, uh, you know, maybe <clears throat> Tatar is gone, um, but you never know. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what if they make an even deeper run than expected? Um, well, they already have. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> even deeper than now. Yeah. Um, the other name I was thinking of just in terms of scoring punch would be Mike Hoffman. Um, you know, Taylor Hall, very interesting one. Um, if you want sort of a, a discount, Taylor Hall. Uh, not that Mike Hoffman is exactly the same player. He obviously doesn't have the wheels of Taylor Hall, but he can put the puck in the net. And if the Habs decide that they need a little more offense for the regular season, then Mike Hoffman is your guy. Uh, that's something he has definitely established over his career so far. I think now. Uh, yeah. oh, go ahead, Brian. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah. Oh, I was going to go to the next question. No, I, I was just thinking, know. I think, I think the bigger concern is how they're going to replace the fourth line. <laughs> all three of those guys, you know, Eric Stahl, Yoel Armia, and, and Corey Perry, they're all unrestricted free agents too. Um, and they've, they've, they've made some enormous contributions uh, to this playoff run. So how are they going to, how are they going to repatriate, you know, maybe two thirds of that line? Mm, a very fair point. So lots of stuff for Mark Bergevin to do this summer, other than get a haircut. Um, next question from open ice, open ice asks, what role can Marco Rossi take on next year's Minnesota Wild now that he is healthy and back on the ice? And I'll start on this one because uh, I loves me the prospects. Um, Marco Rossi obviously had a very difficult year uh, with, with COVID. It really kind of knocked him back. And we're just recently seeing him get back on the ice, which is super positive news. What's interesting to me is that, you know, in his draft year, Marco Rossi was seen as perhaps the most NHL-ready OHLer in that class. And that was a, a class that included Quentin Byfield and Jamie Drysdale. So high praise there. But, you know, because he played such a complete game, you know, skated with the Ottawa 67s, playing for Andre Tourigny, fantastic coach, uh, who is now, um, well, just won a gold medal as an assistant coach with Canada's World Championship team. Um, but I worry about the lost year of development and, and getting him right on the Minnesota Wild next year. If he can do it, that's fantastic. And he is the kind of player where 
You can put him up and down the lineup to begin with because he's not going to be a black hole defensively. But I just wonder if the best thing for his development is um, probably, you know, at this point, getting loaned out to a team in Europe where he can play against men because I think he's at that level. But I'm not I'm just not sure if he's NHL ready right now because of all the time he lost due to COVID. So for me, I wonder if loaning him out one year to a team uh, whether it's in Switzerland or Sweden, you know, like one of those top end leagues where he'll have a prominent scoring role. Uh, he can just sort of get his legs back under him against good competition. I'm wondering if that might be the best course of action. Naturally, you give him a look at training camp and, and see what he can do. But, you know, if, if he needs another year, it is certainly not a failure because this kid went through the ringer and you just want him back you know, as, as normal as possible. And I mean, frankly, with the ascent of, of Kaprizov, you know, Minnesota is no longer desperate for high end talent. You you've got one guy and I think, you know, for them, they, they obviously want to make sure Rossi is ready. And if it takes another year, I think that is completely reasonable. Ken, your thoughts on the subject. Well, you know, it's interesting because I mean, the Minnesota wild obviously did a bunch of really good things this year and made some real strides you know, albeit in a division where, and again, I, I, you wonder if it's not a mirage, right? Like, cause they were on that West side where there was a lot of really subpar teams, um, but they did what they were, they did what they, they needed to do. Uh, they were a very good team. They played very well. They made a lot of strides, but I think, you know, I think everyone would, would agree that the one black hole in that organization is down the middle. Um, you know, so, um, you know, is it, is it, is it realistic to expect that Marco Rossi after taking a year off and being as sick as he was, you know, is going to be able to come in, jump in and be say the, you know, the, the number two guy behind Erickson Eck. I, you know, I, 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 I doubt it. Um, you know, I, I think that's a pretty big ask, but you know, I mean, maybe, maybe he can, maybe he will be able to, and, and if he can, then that's, that's an absolute, you know, that's, that's hitting the jackpot, winning the lottery for the Minnesota wild. You know, if he can come in and be their second line center and provide some decent offense and two-way play, um, you know, after a year off, um, that would be great because, you know, I mean, it drops off really quick and, you know, I mean, you've got Nick Benino who plays the wing and center, but you know, you got Victor Rask, who's not really that fast. You got, you know, you got your Ryan Hartman's guys like that down the middle. I mean, where's your stud? You know, this guy yeah. is the guy that is going to be that guy or is projected to be that guy. I, I'm just not sure it can happen as quickly as, as people would like given, you know, given the setback that he had this year. Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, we're going to do one more mailbag question before we get on to the rapid fire. Josh, the Zamboni guy asks with a weird draft this year, Due to less viewings, do you see any teams trading down or getting creative to add picks? Uh, Ken, what do you see right now in the landscape? Well, I, 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 can, I can see teams maybe trading down because I think there's a lot of variance on the board. You know, I mean, uh, you know, like we talked about this before. I mean, there was always a guy in the f- first two rounds or maybe a couple of guys in the first two rounds. And when we do draft preview, we talk to the scouts and they say, 
this guy wasn't even on our radar, right? Like we weren't even thinking about this guy at the beginning of the year. And now we have him in the top 15, you know, so, mm-hmm. so that we're not going to have that guy this year, really. Like, I mean, if for all yeah. intents and purposes, because nobody really was able to show that this year. Um, so I, I do see, you know, some teams maybe, you know, getting a few extra picks in the later rounds and taking a few flyers because uh, you just don't know. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but as far as, you know, the draft itself, I still think, you know, um, you teams are still going to draft the best player available when it's their turn to draft. I don't think you're going to see anything funky that way. Um, you know, you can't draft, you know, uh, you know, and, and we're talking about it now with the Buffalo Sabres and Owen power and, and, and Maddie Beneers, you know, what's their need. I, you know, to me, whoever Buffalo thinks is going to be the better player, that's who they should pick. Not mm-hmm. the guy that they think is going to come in sooner and help them because, you know, quite frankly, neither of them might be ready for the NHL. This, this might be the, the first year since, you know, basically the lockout that nobody, nobody jumps straight to the NHL from the draft. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that you would know better than I would, but from what I'm hearing, I mean, there might be nobody that's, that's available and ready, you know, given the fact that guys had so few reps last year, you know, or none in some cases, um, so yeah, so I, I, I think it's from that standpoint, it's probably going to be pretty, pretty routine, but I, I would see teams maybe in the later rounds, maybe being willing to take a little more of a chance on a guy. Yeah. I, I to me, uh, this is going to be such a fascinating draft. And I, I agree about, you know, your sentiment about maybe no players jumping straight to the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we haven't seen a number one pick stay in college since Eric Johnson, uh, which was quite a while ago, played one year, uh, you know, one more year at the University of Minnesota. Um, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, especially, you know, assuming it is Owen Power, um, you know, the fact that he's going to be on a very strong Michigan team yeah. again, and you add in Maddie Beneers and Kent Johnson, uh, both of whom are also top 10 picks, maybe even top five picks. And, you know, you're going to have a really potent Wolverine squad and a team that did not get a chance to play for the national championship right. because of COVID right. protocols, they had to withdraw from the tournament. So obviously they're going to want to come back and, and make amends for that uh, unfortunate bit of luck there. What I find really interesting about this draft is that it's going to be so chaotic from team to team in terms of their list, you know, teams draft boards, they're always different, but I think this year they're going to be really different because you're going to have scouts that might have seen some kids more than others. And, you know, they're going to fall in love with particular players. They're going to not really be sure about others. And, and because of that, I think we're going to see a lot of um, interesting selections. There's probably going to be some mistakes. But I wonder if because of that, we might not see as many teams trade up and down because the players that are high on their board might still be there. Um, where, you know, you always hear teams say, oh, we didn't think we'd get them at that pick. I don't think teams were allowed to say that this year. I think teams would be like, yeah, we had no idea what was going to happen at all. So we just took these guys that we liked. And the fact that we got this guy in the second round and this guy in the fifth round, we could have swapped them and no one would have known the difference. Um, So it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some teams maybe punt a couple of picks 
to the 2022 draft, uh, which, you know, is, is seen as stronger, certainly at the, the high end. But, I mean, the next couple of years are going to be very fascinating because most NHL regional scouts know these kids from not just their draft year, but their underage year. Some of them have even seen them, you know, locally in the U16 ranks. Um, and, and obviously this year, you know, in Ontario, for example, there, there was no U16 hockey to speak of, and that's going to be a challenge next year where you don't have as much of a book on these players where you didn't have an OHL year, you didn't have U16. So that sort of, um, you know, that progression is not there. So it's going to be a big challenge. And obviously the ramifications in the draft are, are going to be quite severe for a couple of seasons. So good question there. Lots of good mailbag questions this week. And now as I take a sip, dramatically, <laughs> it is time for the rapid fire. Uh, Ken, obviously you are going to I'm going answer sure. first because it's the two of us, unless you want in on this, Stephen. What say you, producer Stephen? I'm in. Excellent. All right, Stephen is in. Ken will answer first. Stephen will answer second. First question of the rapid fire. What is the best song by the Bachman Turner Overdrive? Ken. Taking care of Christmas. <laughs> Did they actually do that? <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, taking care of business. Uh, Not Fragile was always a great, to me, was a really, really underrated song by them. Um, hmm. so I'll go with uh, not fragile as the underrated one, and you know, taking care of business. Interesting, uh, Stephen. Are you familiar with BTO? Let It Ride is one of my all time favorite songs. Nice, 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 nice. That was going to be mine, uh, but I always go back to You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, and just the uh, the riff, the riffs on that are they're too sick. You can't beat it to me. Taking care of business is uh, third amongst their major singles. Good job, guys. Uh, next question. Whose defense core would you rather have? And I'm going into the assumption that, you know, they don't get, they don't lose anybody via free agency or obviously or anything like that, um, for next season, Colorado or the New York Islanders. Hmm. Uh, I'd say Colorado because of just because of the, this, the superstar talent that's on there. I think Kale McCarr is a budding, not, star he could be a superstar in this league and I, i'm talking about a top and you know top five top 10 player in this league for a very very long time mm. i gotta go Colorado. it's great too yeah i gotta go with colorado in that case too it's like if you gotta if you have to choose which team's got the better player colorado's got kale mccarr and that to me is the big difference there mm, that's fair um, I will have to go with Colorado, but I will say with the Islanders, when you have that Pulik Pelik shutdown tandem, and then Noah Dobson still on the way up, I, I think there's a lot of potential in him. Uh, you know, he's got the size, he's got the mobility, he's got the skill. So don't sleep on the New York Islanders defense core because I think they have a lot of great uh, traits in their own right. Uh, would love to have either of them. Uh, next question. Give me your favorite cover song. No ska songs allowed. Favorite cover song. Um, Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Nice. Uh, That's a good one. Steven. 
knocking on heaven's door, Guns N' Roses. Ah, nice. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Swing Kids doing Warsaw by Joy Division. Uh, Runner up being Dillinger 4 covering covering Sally McLennan by the Pogues. Both very good. Mm. Okay. I'll, I'll add one more. I'll add one more. You you okay. you know I'm a big Green Day fan, but I, I think I Ace Nine Kills does a better version of uh, Time of Your Life than Green Day does. There oh, a disturbed disturbed's version of Sound of Silence. Very Sounds good one too. There, that one is uh, just incredible. You're both completely wrong on those, but I will move on. Um, ah. New new question we used to do was he a ranger yeah. uh, which was a riff on the fact that you know in the 90s in particular the new york rangers would sign tons of veterans as free agents and they always seemed to be there one or two years it was always really weird to see somebody in a rangers uniform when they would they used to be a hall of famer for the oilers or the kings or whoever the new one the vegas golden knights have already shown that they can plug in totally random players and turn them into super competent second liners, uh, even if they're on their fourth line. So the new game is, was slash is he a golden knight? (laughs) First one, Maxime Legacy. Was he or is he a golden knight? Ken? He was. Not sure if he still is, but he was. Yeah, it only has to be one. So you say yes, Steven. Uh, He was. Correct. Maxime Legacy was a Vegas golden knight. Uh, Next one, Travis Boyd. Was or is he a Golden Knight? I'm going to say no. Ken says no. Steven? He was not. Correct. Travis Boyd, never a Golden Knight, but spiritually (laughs) he feels like he could be be. a Golden Knight. Will be someday. He will be maybe even next year. Uh, Last one, Dylan Sakura. Was slash is he a Golden Knight? Yes. Steven? He is... Right now, currently. Yeah, you're not allowed to look it up. You know that, right, Steve? No, no. I know. Because I can't see your screen right now. He, he used to play uh, in the OJHL. Cheating. He used to play in the OJHL, so I followed his career quite closely. You're cheating. Good point. Cheater, cheater, cheaterton, Mr. Cheaterton. You're cheating. No, you're I believe the OHL part. Okay. You guys definitely know your Vegas Golden Knights, so be <laughs> proud of that. Knights. Final question. Uh, We have all been working from home, obviously, due to the pandemic for more than a year now. What food has increased in your diet now that you don't go into the office every day or in Ken's case, once or twice a week? Yeah, exactly. Um, I got to say it's avocado on toast. Nice Mm, little toast. Avocado with some cheese on top. You can't beat it. I've... uh, I'm I'm right there. I'm I'm with all the hipsters on that one. It's 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 fabulous. Uh, there you go. Ken's getting lit. Steven. I'm going with steak because I have more time to make food now. Oh. How does Very it taste? Oh, terrible, <laughs> but you know, like my, my building doesn't have <laughs> working barbecues because you know <laughs> but whatever. Nice. For me, it's grilled cheese. My grilled cheese consumption has gone up about six hundred percent. Uh, now that I am at my house every day and not eating at the office because I always basically got takeout at the office. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm actually going to go make one right now. Uh, that's it for the rapid fire. That's it for the podcast. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. 
Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Producer Steven. I'm Ryan Kennedy. Have a good week, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.